We're going to get into God's word early doors together this morning. We're coming back for a time of worship at the end. That's why we've just had just a couple of songs at the start. Because just a sense in my heart that there's some things that God wants to do among us this morning. I just want to make room. I want to make space for that. Um, just allow God to, to do what he wants to do. I want you to turn, if you have a Bible with you, to First uh, Samuel chapter 1. It'll appear on the screen as well. I want to read from verse 1 through to 20 to us today. There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, and Ephrahite. I think, I think that's just an achievement to get through that. <laughs> Job done. I'll sit down now. <laughs> he had two wives. That's Old Testament, okay? By the way, that's not okay to have two wives. One is more than enough, okay? I'm very thankful for my one. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he gave portions. He would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though, though the Lord had closed her womb. Basically, it just means she'd been unable to have children. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor drink. Would you say this next line with me, friends? But I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. But I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as worthless woman, for all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew his wife. They came together in union. And the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The title of the message I want to share with you today is this. Access all areas. Access all areas. 
The question that I really want to pose to us today is, are we allowing God unrestricted access in our lives? You know that those passes are given out often backstage at events, allowing that person the freedom to go wherever they want to go. No area is off limits. Sometimes wittingly or unwittingly, knowingly or unknowingly, for any number of reasons, and I don't wish to belittle them, but what happens is we can almost begin to close off areas of our life to God. There are places and there are areas in us that we freely allow Him to go. God, yes, you may go here. God, yes, you may speak to me about that. God, you may, yes, you may move in that area. But there are also quite often in people's lives what we might deem today private no-entry zones. We sometimes see that that, that, uh, sign up, private no-entry. It's to get the point across, as you know, it does exactly as it says there. But there is some restricted areas. Don't go there. You're not allowed to be in that room or see what is in that place. And often I feel that we hang a private no-entry zone over some deep things in our lives. Sometimes we hang private no-entry zones over our deepest struggles, over our deepest issues, over our deepest insecurities, over the deepest part of our past, over our deepest hurts, our deepest battles, the things that have caused the deepest damage, our deepest fears. Because we close those areas off in our life because in truth it's just not, it's just easier to not go there. If we go there, we kind of, it, it, all sorts of thoughts might fill our mind from embarrassment to inadequacy to fear to kind of the mess that might ensue if we begin to see what's in there. Anyone else got those cupboards in their house or it's just don't go in there for fear of what might fall out? And God finds himself working in our lives with this kind of limited access where really what he's longing for is to be able to access all areas. God has been speaking to me a lot in the last few weeks about learning to open up to Him. Letting Him work in the deepest areas of our lives. I went for a walk with God last Monday morning, this week. In the afternoon, something from my past, uh, something that happened in the past, had, had come up that morning, had been stirred for one reason or another that morning. As I walked with God, it was like my deepest insecurities flooded my mind. My deepest self-doubt, some of the deepest hurts that were associated with that, some of my deepest frustrations, they begin to flood my mind. I'm talking about those things that I don't know if anyone else has in their life. Does anyone else like me ever find they seem to often fight same battles, repeated battles? I'm talking about the deep things that seem to hold us back when we want to move forward. The things that get my head in a spin. The things that stir up negative emotion. Before I knew it, my prayer time was gate crashed. I felt God speak to me in that moment as God had been speaking to me about these things these last couple of weeks. And I felt God say, let me in. Let me in. And I felt God say to me, I need you to let me into all these areas of uncertainty in your life. And God said to me, I want to establish you. I want to bring you to a place of, of strength. And I began to just pour out these things before God. And say, God, I so want that. 
I so want to be established. I so want to be certain where I feel uncertain. I so want you to bring me to this place of strength. I shared some of this on Tuesday morning at our, at our prayer meeting and I asked for prayer for myself because God was speaking to me and these last two weeks God was speaking about for us and there was so much going on and I just felt that God said to me, just stand at the front of the altar and ask for prayer. And I just said to the guys, look, I need prayer for this. And I said, if anyone else is struggling with it, do you want to just come and join me and we'll just pray for one another? Anyone else struggling with deep insecurities, deep fears, deep self-doubts, deep hurts, deep frustrations, uh, things in your life that are same battles that hold you back, the things that get your head in a spin or stir up the negative emotions, the things that seem to gate crash your life, your walk, your relationship with God. Well, friends, I'm not saying this to boast, but glory to God, near us, every one of us stood at the front. So much so that it wasn't like we needed a prayer team, we just had to pray for each other. But I saw God begin to move in a way that I believe that God wants to move when we allow Him to access all areas. When we're prepared to open up those places of our life which sometimes we've hung a private no-entry zone sign over. Do you know that God wants to get beyond the surface level of your life? God wants to get beyond the surface level of our lives and do a deep work in every one of us. I've been reading a book just lately and it likens life to like an iceberg. If we can put that up for me, Claire, please. It likens life to an iceberg and the point is that 90% of life is unseen. Just like with the iceberg there, there's 90% of our lives that lie beneath the surface. And they were saying how Jesus wants to transform our entire being, not just the 10% that's on show. He wants to go deep down in our lives. Galatians 4 verse 19 says, until Christ is formed in you, in you. The New Living Translation says, until Christ is fully developed in your life. Do you know, friends, it's good to remind yourself every time you log on to Facebook or Instagram, if you have them, or any form of social media account, and everyone's life looks amazing, and people look so confident and content and joyful and successful, it's just 10%. See, because often privately beneath the surface, that's not the case. I was recently talking to a friend who I grew up with through primary school and high school and our families were close and she'd lost a very, very close family member who had sadly taken their own life. He was younger than me. When we were talking, she said this to me. She said, none of us ever knew what he was going through. He was the life and soul of the party. And he always seemed so happy. I just wish he'd let someone in. When you looked at his Facebook and media accounts, you'd have never have thought that that 90% was going on as you looked at that 10% of life. Very often things are not as they appear. It's the pressure in the world in which we live to present an impressive 10%. This book by Rich Velodas says this, Culture wants to shallowly form us. But the work God wants to do in us requires us to look deeply within. 
To look deeper and be deeply formed. God wants to deal with the stuff that keeps us from experiencing deep transformation in Christ. How many people already, when you begin to talk about that, it almost can make you feel like, oh no, he's not going to go there. Some of those areas in our life. See, friends, one of the key words, and we are coming back to Hannah in just a moment. One of the key prophetic words over this church is it would be a healing well. You know, that's more than God fixing the physical things that we see. It's more than it just being in this place, but you being that well out in society. God wants to do more than just fix the physically damaged or broken arms and backs and eyes. It is that. We want to see that. I'm all in for that. I want to believe for that. But friends, it's the deeper stuff too. It's God healing some of the deepest things in people's lives. Hearts, emotions, minds. You know, I had the privilege of spending time with someone this week. And just getting to know them as they shared some of their story. And as they shared some of their story, they shared how Jesus had transformed their life from a place of what I could only describe as total mental and emotional brokenness. Friends, when I say that, I'm not just talking about a tough time. I'm talking at the level that they could barely even function in everyday life. Literally. And they said to me, I brought a prop because I want to show you what life was like then. And they held up before me a piece of screwed up paper like this. And they said, this was me. This was me. But then they said, I want to show you what Jesus has done in my life. It just began to unfurl. The brokenness. The creases. The crumples. And it just said, little by little, step by step, Jesus is working in my life. And he's doing this. And friends, as they spoke, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was everything. Everything. The center, number one, the one who'd rescued them. As they told their story, they said, only Jesus could do that. In this story that we just read, Hannah beautifully models how to let God in. How allowing him to access all areas in our life is key to transformation. See, the backstory, and many of you will have known this, but I'll remind you, is that Hannah was barren and could not conceive. Penaniah, Elkaniah's other wife, had had children, but she was cruel to Hannah. Cruel to the extent that she would provoke her grievously. She would taunt her over the fact that she was unable to have children. If that is not painful enough in itself, and I've not lived through that, but I can imagine to be a woman and you want to have to, and to go through that and begin to process. If that in itself is not painful enough, then society here in the world in which Hannah lived, that would carry tremendous knock-on effects. Thank God that we've come a long way since then. But back then, to be able to be unable to have children, to be a childless woman. You were literally in society, you were deemed a failure, a disappointment, a social embarrassment to your husband. It cut deep emotionally and mentally. Let me tell you, friends, it done deep damage 
in people's lives. And so what we see is a woman in Hannah who carried a deep sense of shame, who carried a deep sense of failure and embarrassment and frustration and pain and this deep sense of inadequacy. Verse 7 tells us it affected her so much that she wept and would not eat. It made her physically, it affected her in such a way that she couldn't even physically bring herself to eat. That word wet there means to mourn. This wasn't just a tear down the, down the face. It means to mourn and to lament in grief, to shed tears and to weep bitterly. Verse 8 tells us that her husband Elkanah could see that her heart was, quote, sad. That word sad means grieved. It means to be broken up with any violent action. It literally means that her heart was broken. This issue had taken her heart and so violently shaken it, her heart was broken. Verse 10 says she's deeply distressed and she wept bitterly. The New King James Version says she wept sore. That's not a phrase we use very often. She wept sore. In other words, it means she literally cried to the point where her eyes were sore. Have you ever had that? That deep times when you just feel like your eyes are just on fire as you cry to the point that they're sore. We're trying to get into Hannah's story and immerse ourselves in understanding the deep things that this young lady was carrying in her life. Now my question to us today is this. Where do we go with our deepest battles, our deepest issues, our deepest struggles, our deepest hurts? Where do we go and who do we turn to? How many of us here would have thought, well, I'd be really tempted just to let Penn and I have it. You know, I'm going to retaliate out of this place of frustration. And what I feel, she's cruel. So she's just going to get it. Some of us likely would have thought, you know what? I'm going to seek out a close friend. And someone who I can just kind of pour this out on. And who I can share this problem with. And of course, there's always tremendous value in that. Others of us would have been tempted, frankly, to have just given up. Maybe to have hidden, maybe to have kind of just surrendered in some way. But what we see Hannah, what did Hannah do when I got you to read this? Well, first of all, in verse 10, it says, As she wept distress, deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord, she prayed, sorry, to the Lord. Verse 15 says, She poured out her soul before the Lord. Do you know those two verses changed everything? This was the moment that Hannah's story began to change. The narrative of her life began to change. They were literally two things that changed everything. Because Hannah moved herself to a place where she said, I need to bring the deepest things in my life to God. I have to let Him in on what is going on. I have to allow Him access all areas. I cannot shut God out. I cannot hold God at arm's length. Because she said, I've got great distress. I've got great anxiety and deep vexation. This is getting me nowhere. The only way, the only thing I can do is to bring this to God. Not deny it. Not ignore it. Not try and crack on. Not give God the silent treatment. She poured it all out on Him. Access all areas. She says, all along as I've been praying, verse 16, I've been speaking out of great anxiety and vexation. That means I'm actually speaking, that word vexation means in the Hebrew, I'm speaking out of my anger that I feel inside. I'm speaking to God out of it. 
I'm speaking to God from this place of grief and from this place of frustration and from this sore sorrow. The Amplified says, out of my great complaint and bitter provocation, I have been speaking. These were deep, gut-wrenching, real, raw, honest, open, vulnerable prayers that she was praying from God to God that were coming from a deeper place, that were coming from the depth of her soul. This was an honest, heartfelt outpouring of all that she felt inside, of all that she was struggling deeply with. She brings it to God. Verse 15, as I said, it says she poured it out. In the Hebrew, it literally means this. It means to spill forth. We use that phrase, don't we? Sometimes they came and spilled the beans. We mean it just like, it just all came out. That's exactly what it means. It was like, I'm not going to hold back God. I'm not going to hold in God. I'm going to let it pour out to you. You know, 12 days ago, this is where this whole thing began. I was praying and God gave me a, a picture. And I saw someone bleeding a radiator. You know how when a radiator is cold or lukewarm, it's not functioning to its fullest potential. You have to bleed it. Saying, God, what are you saying to me? Here was the point. Friends, there first has to be a release before the fresh warmth and heat can come through. What's inside has to come out, otherwise the blockage will always hold back what could be. I felt God saying to me, that's what I want to do in people's life. I felt saying we have to learn to release the things inside of us that want to continually trap and block us. To feel a new warmth and heat of His love and presence again. As she poured out her heart before God, things began to change. Eli says, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition, verse 17, that you've made to him. She said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. We're already seeing a shift. We're already seeing a change. She hasn't even walked through the front door with a baby, but something has shifted. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. Elkanah knew his wife. The Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived, bore a son called him Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. I want to imagine just being a husband for a moment. You see your wife so downcast and sad to the point that her eyes are red and so deeply distressed that she can't even eat. She goes off to the temple. She comes back with a smile upon her face. She took her deepest issues to God. She poured out her soul to Him. And as she let Him in, things began to change. It's interesting because nothing had changed and yet everything had changed. God hadn't actually yet answered her prayer. She never walked through the front door carrying a baby. Nothing had actually changed and yet she came home smiling. You see, before pouring out her heart to soul to God gave birth to new life, it first gave birth to new peace. Inner change began to come about before outer change. She knew God had heard her prayer. She felt such an inner release and such a sense of peace that she could just leave it with God and go home. Nothing had changed and yet 
everything had changed. This real and raw and honest, heartfelt outpouring first changed Hannah. Her attitude had changed. The way she carried herself had changed. Do you know, friends, this real stuff that we're talking about like this, this kind of prayer often changes the prayer before it changes the situation. This is the peace that surpasses understanding. This is the how Jesus can sleep in the middle of the storm. Prayer often changes the prayer before it changes the situation. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. God, is there a peace I'm forfeiting? A needless pain I'm bearing that I don't need to carry. But I do because I don't let you access all areas. Is there an outpouring from my soul and from my heart that God could really change me? Even if this situation is nuts and crazy and I feel distressed and I've cried tears and I'm missing peace and I'm hurting inside. Friends, giving God our problems rather than carrying them is essential to experiencing peace. Philippians 4 verse 6 to 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Hannah's living out these verses. She's exchanging a deep anxiety for peace. As I said, she doesn't return with a baby. In fact, she walks back into an environment with a woman who was notoriously uh, taunting her. And so she walked back into an, an environment that would taunt her. She walks back potentially even with the same fears and doubts maybe potentially going to rise up as a result of it. And yet the beautiful thing is she's carrying a peace inside that's guarding her against every taunt. That's guarding her against every fear. That's guarding her against every doubt. Nothing had changed, but everything had changed. She had a peace that surpasses understanding. Number two, honest heartfelt prayers gave birth to new life. God gave her a son. And his name was Samuel. Do you know what Samuel means? Heard by God. When we begin to pour out, what a beautiful thing this is. That we are heard by God. And that as we are heard by God, it gives birth to new life. Gives birth to breakthrough. Gives birth to change. Do you know what? Actually, because the kind of God He is and that He's so awesome and the Bible says He'll do abundantly more than you can ask, think or imagine. God didn't just answer her prayer. He over-answered her prayer. If you go to chapter 2 and, and verse 21, a once barren lady, you'll see it in your own time, carrying a deep frustration and embarrassment, a disappointment, a shame, becomes a mother to six children. God didn't just give her Samuel. He gave her another five. Do you know, friends, God can do more than you can imagine when you pour out your heart and soul to Him. When you let Him in. And this stuff is running all through the Bible. Friends, I believe passionately, with all my heart, that God is passionate about His children's mental and emotional health. I'm not talking some new age, guffy, mm, rubbish. I'm talking about a God that the Bible tells me gives shalom, wholeness, healing, Well-being, deep 
peace. 1 Peter 5 verse 7 tells us, Cast all your anxiety, all your worries and concerns on Him because He cares for you. He wants to take the weight of that stuff that we carry. Give us that shalom that I said. That shalom is that wholeness, that health, that soundness, rest, the absence of agitation, the well-being. God wants to do an inside job in the deepest parts of our life. But God needs us and the Bible encourages us and challenges us to openly share our deepest issues and struggles with God. David is hiding from Saul in a cave, fearing for his life, having done nothing wrong. They're hunting him down because they want to murder him. Psalm 142, the theme says in the Bible, this is a prayer for when overwhelmed and desperate. Anyone ever feel overwhelmed and desperate? Is it just me in the pulpit today who sometimes feels that way? It says, here's a prayer for when we're overwhelmed and desperate, when we feel cornered by our enemies. Anyone ever felt like there's something back in them in a corner? An issue. He says this, with my voice, this is the reality as he's hiding in a cave. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaints before him. I tell my trouble before him. Friends, I don't know if this is a revelation to you or not, but God is big enough to take it. He is not afraid of your honest, heartfelt prayers. You can pour out complaint before him. Daniel 9 verse 3 in the, in the message. Daniel's taken captive. He's in a godless, sin-filled nation. They want to force them into idol worship. Transform them to a godless culture. He says, I turn to the master God. Ask him for an answer. I poured out my soul, my heart. Bearing my soul to God, my God. Now I know that the counterbalances of some of this stuff people say to me. But I'm just not the emotional type. You know, I, surely I don't need to cry when I pray for it to be kind of, pray for it to kind of be validated. And, you know, sometimes you might say, well, some people seem to get too overly emotional. So is it that tears and emotion validates our prayer? No. But friends, I'm saying that there's something powerful in learning to share your deepest feelings and emotions with God. With Father God. But do I need to do it? Well, Jesus needed to. Jesus was an emotional prayer. Hebrews 5 verse 7 says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petition with reserved, quiet, British niceness. No, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries. That actually means loud cries. Say, oh, that stuff makes me uncomfortable. You better take it up with Jesus. With fervent and loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Fervent, loud cries and tears. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. It's not just the emotion that gets us heard, is it? But it's that reverent submission to God. God, you have your way. God, you do what you want to do. Bring my deeper stuff before you. Do you know, God cares more passionately about the sincerity of your prayers than the words you use. Can I say that to you again? God cares more passionately about the sincerity of your prayers than the words you use. Be released from some notion that we have to have some well-spoken, well-constructed words to be able to pray. Let me tell you something I've learned from my closest earthly relationship in life. The one with my wife. Right words 
and wrong emotions don't work. Right words and wrong emotions don't work. I said I'm sorry, okay? She doesn't always speak to me like that, don't worry. I said I'm sorry. You know that I love you. Right words, wrong emotions don't work. Friends, could I dare to begin to say, I don't think they work with God either. Because it's not a formula. God wants your heart. We're made in God's image. We're called to follow Christ's example. Friends, as I read the pages of this book, I read of a God who's not afraid to show his emotions. There's anger, there's sadness, there's joy. You'll find it all in there. Aren't you glad this morning that God doesn't just say, Gabriel, I love you. But he says, Gabriel, I love you passionately and fervently and jealously. He loves him emotionally. The trouble is that sometimes we've hung this private no entry sign over our emotions. Don't go in there, God. And God's saying, but you need to let me in there. Because actually, friends, he wants to unlock and heal some people's emotions. Them deep things in our life. We need to learn, like Jesus did, to pour our heart out, our feeling emotion to God. Because from the get-go, as I said, the one thing God's always been after is your heart. Lamentations 2 verse 19 says, Arise, cry out in the night. What a beautiful verse this is. Arise, cry out in the night as the watches of the night begin. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. In other words, your heart, let this jug represent your heart, is like a, a container. And many things get, get, get in here. Many things come into our life. And it's not all good. It, it can be good, but it's not all good. And actually, the point of this uh, scripture is saying we need to learn it out. Because I don't know about you, but I can find frustration starts to fill my heart. And stress starts to fill my heart. And pain starts to fill my heart. And there's areas of disappointment that fill my heart. And there's offense that fills my heart. And if I don't learn to begin to let it out, then it just begins to overflow. How many people here have ever had that place when you didn't want it to happen, but all of a sudden, at a time when you weren't really prepared for it, it all came flooding out? It all came flooding out in some dramatic fashion, in some way. And what this scripture is saying is that we, God doesn't want us to get to the place where we say, do you know what, God, I'm up to here with it and I can't take it anymore. God is saying, I want you to know in me that as we go through this life and as that stuff is pouring into you, pour it out to me. Pour it out on me. Don't let that stuff fill you. Don't let that stuff consume me. Every day, pour it out on me. Do you know, with Beth's permission, I want to tell you a little story. I'm nearly done. With Beth's permission, I'll tell you a little story. The other night, I asked her a question. How's it going? I asked about her day at sixth form, and she said I could tell this story, so I'm doing so with her blessing. We're in that period now where we're coming into A-levels, exams, unis. We've got COVID taking teachers out left, right and centre. People not able to teach you as you've got self-learn, all this kind of stuff going on. Wow. Well, that question released a load of stuff that had been bottled up for a long time. And we hit the pouring moment. It was messy. It was emotional. 
Friends, there was a loss of perspective. Hello, anyone else ever been there? I've been there. Friends, for our own mental and emotional health, we have to find a way to empty this stuff out. And God says, pour it on me. Experience my shalom. Pour it out. I sat recently with a very good friend uh, who, who's a, a born-again Christian therapist. And they said something so profound to me as we talked. They said, not everyone who thinks they need therapy actually does. I thought. They said, and then they said this, and it hit me. A lot of people just need someone to talk to. Friends, how true is that? That when we have someone to talk and we share stuff, it often makes us feel so much better. And here we're talking about God. And God is saying there's something so liberating and releasing as we learn to pour out our soul and our heart like Hannah did. It changes the way she feels, sees herself, carries herself. God wants to be the number one person in our life we turn to and talk to. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. So as we kind of, the wheels are out today, just get ready to kind of land this thing. Let's come back to this. Where do I go and where do I turn to with the deep things in my life? Well, Verse 8, Hannah knew her husband loved her. He told her so and he, he modeled that. And she wasn't just spoken, it was shown in the way that he treated her. She knew she had the love of her husband, yet his encouragement enough wasn't an, alone wasn't enough to comfort her. She didn't just go and pour it all out on Elkanah. How many people know that sometimes we struggle to convey the depth of what we feel even to our closest earthly relationships? We can't find the right words or we're embarrassed. Friends, when I lived through a season in my life, I went for a period where every night I laid on my pillow at home, okay, and I desperately wanted to tell Claire about a load of stuff I was struggling with, but I couldn't get it out. I couldn't do it until eventually it poured out. Somehow that might be the embarrassment or whatever. It's just hard to communicate, hard to convey. Will I be misunderstood? Can they take the weight of what I want to pour out on them? That's the thing. Is it even fair to overburden them this stuff? And actually, to be fair to her husband, it's hard for him to even appreciate the depth of what's going on because he keeps saying repeatedly, why? Why do you feel this way? Why do you feel like that? Am I not enough? That's not the issue. Verse 14, even the man in ministry misunderstood her. Eli. He puts it down to something else. Oh, this is because of this. I think she's been on the old red wine. Friends, guilty as a man in ministry, how many times I've jumped to conclusions and missed deeper issues. I'm realizing more than ever, there is often something deeper going on behind what I see. More than ever, it's important that we don't just judge a book by its cover, but that we learn to look and listen for the deeper issues, for the root issues. I'm grateful for men and women in my life, close relationships who I can share stuff with. I'm grateful for men and women of God who I know in ministry, but both of them have their limits. God is the only one we can truly pour our heart out on because he's the only one who can handle it. The only one strong enough to handle the weight of our emotions. It's interesting that Hannah prayed silently. Ban, perhaps you could come back. It's interesting that Hannah prayed silently. See, she never prayed for an audience with anyone else other than God. She could have been tempted to have done so and loudly have done so so that everyone else knew. Maybe a few people might have rallied around her. And it, even when Eli questions her, she tells him that she's praying, but she doesn't tell him what she's praying for. Now, is the bloke at the front telling you it's wrong to have friends who you share stuff with and tell them what you're praying for? Absolutely not. 
I'm saying the most important audience any of us can have is in private prayer with God alone. There's value in pouring out your heart to a trusted friend, but make Jesus your best friend. Psalm 62, David's driven from home during Absalom's rebellion. He finds himself amidst a deeply confusing and painful time among unknown people in unfamiliar surroundings. And he says these words, trust in him, God, at all times. O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Where do I go? Where do I turn? God says, I'm your refuge. That word refuge means I'm your safe place. We sometimes talk about that, the safe place. Knowing our safe places is important. Somewhere where we can be ourselves, where we feel able to be who we are, where we, we just feel safe. And God says, I'm your safe place. I'm your refuge. It means I'm your shelter. I'm the one who covers you. When that rain is chucking down and them issues are bombarding in, I cover you. It literally means run to me. So as I finish, and I really will do, take you back to that other night with Beth. I could see something wasn't right. I'm a dad. And so could her mum. That little telling look as me and Claire look at each other. Something's not right. I can tell something's not right. But the answer when I first asked her, is everything all right, was this one. That's fine. It's fine. How many people have ever done that? It's fine. It's fine. So what do we do? Really, Beth? Probe a little deeper. Face drops a little. Probe again. <laughs> Tears. It's all coming out. All the fears, all the anxieties, all the uncertainty. <sighs> Just pouring out. See, the point is this. I could see something was up. I knew something was up. But for her to be able to get the help she needed and the help we wanted her to have, I needed her to open up and let us in. Jeremiah 16, 17 says, My eyes, this is God speaking over us. My eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me. Shall we stand to our feet? Jeremiah 23, 24 says, Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? declares the Lord. Psalm 44 verse 21, He, God, knows the secrets of the heart. Hebrews 4 verse 13, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. 1 Samuel 16 verse 7, People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Psalm 38 verse 9, O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. Psalm 139 verse 1 to 2. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. See, friends, the reality is even when we hang a a private no-entry sign over areas of our life, God sees anyway. God knows because nothing can be hidden from Him. We're trying to hide and lock Him out from the very things He sees. He knows us more deeply than we know ourselves. Better, the Bible says, than we know ourselves. He knows how we feel. He knows what we're struggling with. And yet somehow it's telling him that draws us really close to him. We always pour our hearts out to those we're closest to. I want to appeal to you today. Don't shut God out by hiding what he already sees. Don't go in there, God. 
Just like with Beth as your heavenly daddy, God is ready to help, but he first needs you to open up and let him in. Pour out your heart, pour out your soul to God. Be real, be raw. Release the stuff in your life that's trapping you and blocking you. Find a real and genuine inner peace and freedom. Feel the warmth and heat of his love and embrace again. Release those things to him so he can release you. Grant him access to all areas. Friends, God wants to minister to the deepest parts of your life. The places that only he can reach and the places that only he can can go. Let's just begin to worship God together. Let's just begin in worship to pour out our heart to Him. I'm just going to open this up in a minute, but let's just love Him and love on Him for a moment. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.